Welcome in. We're going we're gonna, to um, pray again, and then we'll just get started with the sermon. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ. Uh, we praise you that sin and death do not have the last word on us. Even though some of us come in here, all of us come in here under the threat of death in some way. We're all, we're all dying people because sin has come into this world. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, God, who has become man, lived, died, was buried, and rose again from the dead, death and sin do not have the last word. So we come to you, Father, with every, every expectation that you will meet us because you're alive, that this is... Every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection, and and we thank you for this hope that we have. We thank you that you reign over all things. There's There's not one thing out of your control. There's not one molecule in this universe that is outside of your sovereign control. And we know that in the end, we will see how all of these things have worked together for your glory and for our good. God, we pray that this morning you would meet with us by your spirit. You would open your words to us and open us to your words, we pray. As we think about what it, what it looks like to confess sin to one another and pray to one another, I, I ask that you would help us give us understanding minds and see how all of this will glorify our great Christ. We pray that those who are here who are weary or even sick, God, that you would meet with them in a real way. And maybe they're sick of soul or sick of body. We ask that you would heal them. And whatever your will is in that situation, we ask that you give us contentedness to look to you and see you as our one true and living hope and that one day you will heal all of us from our diseases when we trust in you. God, we pray for those of us who are cheerful. You would help us to be Uh, cheerful regardless of our circumstances and sing praise to you and we ask as as we think about confessing sin and praying for one another that we would do that well in a way that's pleasing to you so meet with us our great god god we pray that you meet with christians all over the city who are meeting and and proclaiming the gospel and, and song and prayers and and um in in the ordinances we ask that you would help our gospel partners in Corvallis to to proclaim your gospel and, and live out the Christian life the way you would want them to, in a, in a way that makes you look big and glorious how you really are. And we pray, Father, that you would do that in other countries as you bring the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. We pray that you would do that through suffering Christians who are, who are in places all over who are not friendly to the gospel and good news or Christians. We pray that they would be the opposite of that, but they'd be friendly and welcoming to those who are not like them. They would love one another in such a way that the world looks on and, and sees that truly God must dwell among them because they love one another. And we pray that you would have your way among us this morning. God, even as we don't know what to pray, you, we know the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. 
that you would move among those whose hearts have been hardened. You, you would soften our hearts, that you would bring us to uh, more maturity in Jesus Christ. We ask that the, the preaching of your word would, would go forth and do everything that you want it to do. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our king. Amen. So we are in James this morning. We're looking at pray for one another. And uh, one, of the thing, one of the ways we want to do that is I put uh, connect cards in all of the handouts, the bulletins. So if you haven't gotten a bulletin, there's bulletins in the back. And if you have that part of that connect card is to get to know people that we don't know. So if you're new, but also it is a, a way for you to ask for prayer requests. One of our elders in our last meeting uh, uh, suggested that we start doing that again. And, and I think it's a great idea. So put prayer requests on there. You can put it in the, in the box back there or give it to, give it to uh, an elder or staff. And we'd love to pray for you uh, just as a way of applying this message. So uh, this morning we're in James 5 and we're going to look at pray, confess sin to one another and pray for one another. What's that all look like? Well, it was, uh, it was around two o'clock in the afternoon uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was driving a FedEx truck. If you didn't know me before I became a pastor, I drove a FedEx truck around, delivered packages, pick up packages. It was great. I loved it. Uh, and uh, I, well, I was doing that, and I received a phone call from Bridget saying, hey, uh, Orion, who was six, I think six at the time, Orion broke his elbow, and we're going to the hospital. And uh, I said, okay, I'll meet you there. So... I took the truck back to whatever, the barn they called it, and left it there for someone else to deal with and, uh, and went to wait for Orion to have surgery in the morning. And uh, a thought experiment with you. What if I would have said, you know, instead of going to the hospital, let's go to our pastor's house and have him pray over Orion's arm. Our pastor would have, I think he would have scolded us, right? He would have said, you know, I think prayer's great, but Orion needs a doctor right now. Uh, not, you know, prayer, it's not that God couldn't heal his arm miraculously, but like 99% of the time, God uses ordinary means like medicine to help situations like this. So let's get him to a hospital. And on the way over, we'll pray. Friends, there are certain kinds of healings that require doctors, but there are other kinds of healings that require confession and prayer. There are times for doctors, but it's always a fitting time to pray. It's always a fitting time to call on the Lord in prayer. And that's what the book of James tells us in in chapter 5. In fact, when it comes to church community, kind of like what we're doing here, our church community, James, I think, is telling us that God has special, he has a healing grace, a healing grace for those that confess sins to one another and pray for one another. So if you're not in the book of James, you can turn there now. It's in the second half of the Christian Bible. Or you can just scroll uh, on your phone. If you have a Bible app, you can scroll on your phone. You can see it's toward the end there in the table of contents. The book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He grew up with Jesus. And he was a good Old Testament Jew. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament law. But I don't know what it was like to live with Jesus. But what James saw was a, a brother 
a half-brother who lived out the law perfectly. And so James was a sinner. I'm sure he saw that as annoying. I'm sure he saw that as like, man, you're, you know, you're perfect. How can I compare with you? But, but James is, as he's seen, has lived out the law. You know, he actually comes to faith in Jesus probably after the resurrection. And now as a pastor in Jerusalem, James is writing to a Jew, the Jewish community who's, who's dispersed out of Jerusalem during, during this time. And he, he's writing to these people, people just like us, dressed a little differently, uh, living in a different time. But he's writing to people just like us who suffer at times. And he writes them because he wants them to be mature. In James 5, he calls it perfect in suffering. He wants the sufferings, these various trials that they go through, to be a process that produces steadfastness, that produces endurance, perseverance to the end, a completeness in Christ that doesn't waver under the pressures of life. So he writes to them as one who has suffered, as one who saw his brother suffer, but what did his brother do? He cried out to God in his suffering. Please let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Let yours be done. So he tells his friends throughout the book, if you lack wisdom in this task for uh, being mature in suffering, then what should you do? But we're a small group. You can just go ahead and shout it out. I know, right? I'm monologuing, but go ahead. I'm calling. What should you do? If you lack maturity, if you lack wisdom for this suffering, you should ask God. You should pray. You should just ask God for wisdom. He says he'll apply it. He will supply it abundantly without reproaching you. He's not going to make fun of you. He's not, he's not going to look down on you like, really? I really have to give you more wisdom? No, he's going to give it to you in abundance. And he goes on through the book and he says, only that when you ask in for wisdom, ask in faith, not doubting. Because if you doubt, you're like, you're like a man who's tossed about on the waves of the sea. It's in James 1, 5 and 6. But James even warns in this book, in this letter, the sermon to his friends, that they're relational strife. They're, they have relational strife among them. Imagine that, relational strife in a church. It can happen. But it is in part is in due to asking for wrong things. Asking God for things that they would consume on themselves. So what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? This is pretty normal for sinners. But you desire and do not have. So what do you do? You murder. And he's talking about gossip here, friends. Character assassination. You are murdering each other. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. So friends, prayer is connected to how Christians get through suffering, all the while letting it have its maturing and perfect work on them. That's what he wants for us, friends. Christians, especially in this community who are living life together week after week, year after year. 
And James ends his letter with an extended teaching on prayer. And that's what we're going to be in, James chapter 5. And, he, and here's what I think he's getting at. God has healing grace for communities that confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. We're just going to see in two points. If you're a note taker, number one is the power of prayer. Number two is the work of prayer. And all of that to get at God's healing grace for communities that confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. So hear God's word. From James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and some bring him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's holy word. So the power of prayer and the work of prayer, the power of prayer. So James is just trying to persuade us this morning, all of us, his readers first, and then, and then, and then us uh, looking at it in the context of what he was, who he was writing to, he's trying to persuade us that prayer has power. Well, may, maybe you're like me, and you've had unanswered prayers, or sometimes you wonder if the Lord's even hearing you or listening to you. James is trying to, to uh, persuade you. He, he wants you to believe that every time you pray, God listens and he will answer you. Maybe not exactly the way you thought, but he will answer. So notice in verse 16, though, this is we're just taking this verse, lifting it out, and we're going to look at it. We're trying to mine everything that's there. It starts with the word therefore, right? And you guys know this if you've read the Bible a long time. If you just look at one verse and you pull it out of its context, you have to like, you have to look at the context. So every time you see the, the word therefore, right? If you grew up in church, you know what I'm going to say, right? Everybody who grew up in church does. Uh, that you have to look at what the therefore is there for, right? Okay. So I know it's cheesy, but it does help. So what's the context of it? What's he saying? Therefore, he's telling us to pray and, and confess your sins and pray. And you should ask, why should I do that? And he's saying, pray because of this. Why? Verses 13 through 15 has told us. You know, more than politicians want to persuade voters to vote for them. And dentists want to persuade you to brush and floss so you don't have to have oral surgery. James wants you, the reader, to be convinced that you can be healed. That's, I know, by confessing your sin to one another and by praying for one another. So James begins by telling his readers that, Prayer should be as natural to Christian as, by, as breathing is to humans. So we should do it in all circumstances. We, we need it to live, and so we should do it in every circumstance. 
whether you're suffering or whether things, you know, whether, whether everything is going well, pray. So he says that in verses, in verse 13, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Why should we do that? Because the one who, who hears you, he, he knows and cares and will answer. So we're supposed to be talking to God in all kinds of circumstances, but in all kinds of mental states as well. So whether suffering has brought on, whether suffering has been brought on by someone else or by a hard providence or by your own sin, James is telling us to pray. Whether suffering is physical or mental or spiritual or all of the above, pray. So if you have a a broken elbow, pray on the way to the hospital. If you are infertile, pray on the way to your doctor's appointments and adoption training. If you suffer from heartache and you cry without knowing why, pray. So we pray in all kinds of suffering. James is telling us in every kind of suffering that you could come across. Suffering for believing in Jesus or just the mental suffering that you have or the the spiritual suffering or the chronic illness that you are suffering from. He's telling you, pray. Come to God. Bow before him and, and, and pour out your heart to him. What is prayer? It's pouring out our heart to God. But he doesn't say only when you're suffering or things seem to be going bad and you feel like you're going to drown. He also says, pray when you're cheerful. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Singing, singing praise is, a, is an act of prayer to God. It's, it's, it's um, giving glory back to God. Glory do his name. Christians were, were meant, we are meant to sing. And this word cheerful doesn't mean the circumstances are better. It just means your, your, inner, your inner man is okay with them. You're content. And he says to sing praise as a form of adoration. It's a form of prayer. But it's done in, in melodies and, and harmonies. It's like, like we've already done this morning. Like, like you want to do. Like you want to sing a love song. Because you're in love. Christians want to sing because they've been redeemed. Describing to God the glory due his name in music. So regardless of your circumstances, whether you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. Colossians 3.16 tells us that this is one way that we teach one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How would we do that? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Before that, he, he tells uh, the Colossian Christians that they are to um, not only let the word of Christ dwell in them, they are let the peace of Christ rule them. The peace of Christ rules, someone had said, where the word of Christ dwells. Peace of Christ rules where the word of Christ dwells. And when that is happening, uh, it comes out in song. We will be a singing people. We will be a loud, we will be a people that sings loudly, not caring who hears us. He's telling us to sing praise, to pray, to sing praise, regardless of your circumstances. And then in 14 and 15, he tells us that there's a certain kind of suffering that the church should be especially careful to pray for. 
especially the elders of the church. It calls for a, it's, it's sickness. It's a, it's, a, it's a bodily ailment that calls for a special gathering of the elders of the church to come together, to come to this person who is sick. So it's probably a sickness that leads to incapacity um, because it says, call the elders to you. So this person is probably not able to get to the assembly as has to call the elders right to him or her. And it says, let them pray over him or her. So notice what the elders do and what is effectual. I'm going to take a little time here because I feel like, I, I feel like we just have to explain there's ditches on each side of this road that we, we, need, to, uh, we need to be careful about. So notice the elders, what they do is they, the elders come to him or her. They pray over them. And they anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So question, feel free to answer. What saves or heals the person? Just in context, as we've read. What is it that saves or heals the person? Prayer. It's not actually the anointing of oil. It's, it's not, I mean, we don't even see them laying on of hands. You can, I mean, maybe you think that is there, but it is, it is not even just because there are elders. Because later on he says, confess your sins to one another and you will, you will be healed. So it's, it's none of those things. It is the prayer of faith. So what saves or heals a person? It's the prayer that heals them. It's God answering prayer. So a few ditches to be avoided is, is the, just thinking about the oil. There are denominations that believe that this is a sacrament of the church. That when someone is sick, that you, you, call, um, you, you call the pastor or pastors and, and there is some sort of healing. There's special healing in the oil that's applied along with the prayer. Um, it, it has become a sacrament. Uh, there are four views on, on this. So I'm just going to describe what I believe. And, and you can, we can talk about this afterwards uh, if you have any questions about it. But I'm going to spend a lot of time here. But I think that the oil is meant as a symbol of consecration to the Lord. I don't believe the oil has healing power. Some, some people believe the oil is actually medicinal and that's why they used it. That's, that's possible. I, I don't really know. But in the scripture, it seems that oil has like, when you anoint with oil, it has symbolic power to consecrate someone or something to the Lord. And then when the elders come in, they're anointing them with oil, consecrating the Lord, praying for that sick person that the Lord's will would be done. So, whether you must use oil or not, I, I don't think you have to use oil when you pray, but I, I think it's, it's, it's fine to use oil. So when you do, elders, if you do do this, you should be telling our brothers and sisters, this has no promise of healing for you, but we're doing it because we're consecrating to you, you to the Lord and we're praying for healing, knowing that God can do it, but we pray not my will, but yours be done. So, Thinking the oil probably has symbolic power to consecrate the sick person to the Lord. Put them in the Lord's hands. The second dish to be avoided is that, that this is a special prayer for sick people that will always result in physical healing. Right? What, what if you come to the end and the elders prayed over them, anointing them with oil. They really prayed with faith, but the person didn't get healed. Should we think that the elders didn't have enough faith? Certainly we know from experience and even from the New Testament and the Old Testament, 
that not every prayer, even of a righteous person, uh, ended up in healing. The Apostle Paul, uh, he prayed three times for God to remove a thorn of his flesh. A lot of people think it's like it was his blindness. God, could you please remove this from me? So whatever it was, blindness or some other uh, sin or ailment. And God, you know what God said after the third time? No, I will not remove it from you. My grace is sufficient for you. So did God not answer because he didn't, because Paul didn't have enough faith? I don't think so. But friends, we are free to come to God, express our desires for him. Please heal my mom of cancer. Please help us through these trials, these sufferings. We bring our desires before God. But prayer is not about God conforming his desires to ours. It is about him conforming our desires and requests to his will. Sometimes he allows physical suffering to continue because he has spiritual work that he is doing. So it doesn't always result in physical healing. But the third ditch, I think, to be avoided is that thinking that all suffering from sickness is only physical and that there's no spiritual element here. I think the word for sick is it actually means someone who is sick, probably physically or a, or a mental ailment, some sort of sickness. But it's not only that. And we remember, as John Piper said, God is doing a million things when he's doing one thing. So as a sick person comes and they're praying for healing from something, there's always spiritual work that God is doing on the inside. It may be that God is leaving you in your current suffering, whatever it may be, because he's doing work on your soul. He may have sins he wants you to confess. He may have verses he wants you to memorize. He may have prayers he wants you to pray. And none of this would be done in times of ease and, 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 and without suffering. He says the prayer of faith will do three things. So it will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. It will save, raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the saving can be physical. Uh, but it's not, it's not always healed. Physical ailments are not always healed. But it can also be spiritual. And oftentimes, it's, God is probably doing something of both of these things. He's, he is using the physical ailment to do some spiritual work in us. Even if it's just perseverance to the end. And oftentimes he's doing it because this is just how our bodies are connected. Friend, you could be going through depression, maybe not for any sin, but because you have some sort of chemical imbalance in you. Our bodies are connected. And God is, is, is using all of these things to make us dependent, fully dependent on our king that we sang about, who reigns over all the earth. And he's using physical and spiritual to, to drive us to him. But God will do these things. He will save, he will raise them up, and he will be forgiven. So if you have someone pray a prayer of faith over you, if you are sick, you can pray in faith that God will heal that. 
But you pray for contentment, knowing that even if he doesn't save me from this sickness, at the last day, he will save me from final sickness and death. He will raise me up. He will forgive my sins. And the the last ditch to be avoided is though, though God uses trials and tribulations to work on us spiritually, we, we cannot say particular sins are necessarily a direct cause of any ailment. Right? Remember Job. Job suffered tremendously, maybe more than anyone, certainly up to his time and, and many after him, maybe except for the Lord Jesus, he suffered. But did he suffer because of any of his sins? The, the Bible tells us no. What about the blind man in John chapter 9? Do you remember what Jesus said? It was neither this man's sins nor his parents' sins that he was born blind, but it was for the glory of God. So, those are all the ditches we need to avoid. That, you know, if it's not only physical illness that we're talking about. There's, there's spiritual things going on as well. But it's not, there's not one, a one-to-one correlation that our sin has caused this illness. We, we can't say that. Unless, you know, uh, there are times we can say that when, you know, in a drunken stupor, you, you're playing a game with a knife and you cut a finger off. That's, that's probably a consequence of your own sin. But some of us, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in my life? And it was, was it because I did this sin or this sin or this sin? Sometimes it's good for us to think that way, but we have to come to the end of it and say, God, I leave it up to you. I confess my sins. Please forgive them. And if you want to take this ailment away from me, please do. This is what God does through the prayer of faith. He heals us both spiritually and, and ultimately one day he will heal us. Physically, he saves us. He raises up, uh, us up and he forgives our sins. So James is persuading us that the power of prayer ought to entice us to the work of prayer. And we're, we're nuancing things because I, I want us to see that uh, th- this prayer actually works. And, and uh, James is telling us that this, the prayer is actually effectual. It actually has saving power. So that moves us on to the work of prayer. The work of prayer begins with confessing sin to one another. Why? Confessing our sin to one another is necessary for for healing. For some individual healing, but for healing in our body, the church. James doesn't tell us that we confess every sin. Sin sin. Psalm 51 teaches us that sin is first and foremost against God. Yes, we sin against people, but we sin first and foremost against God. We we first confess to God knowing he hears us because of our mediator, Jesus Christ. But friends, while all that is in mind, we, we first confess sin because it's against God we also need to confess sin because we have sinned against one another. We, we have committed sins against each other in this body. Have we not? And when we know we are in the wrong, James is telling us we must confess our sins. We must confess our sins to one another when we have offended them. When we've sinned against them. 
There's, there's another side to this that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, as well as other places. It got real quiet in here real fast when I started talking about this. <laughs> and he says that when someone has sinned against us, the first step is to go to that person and tell them they have sinned. Because either they don't know or because they're letting it slide. It, there, there are times, friends, when someone has sinned against you that, that, that you have to go deal with it. If you can't lo- love cover it, you have to go deal with it. Our, this is our Lord Jesus telling us this. If someone has actually sinned against you, you're supposed to go alone and tell that person. That's the first step. Tell them that they've sinned against you. But it's possible that you're wrong, right? So what if that person refuses to hear you? What is, does Jesus have any, any teaching for those of us that uh, uh, have done this, but the, pers- the person says, I don't, I don't think that was sin. We'll have to agree to disagree. Well, if you're convinced that it's sin, you can't love, love cover a multitude of sins. You can't let love cover it. Jesus tells us that we're supposed to take two or three other people with us so that the evidence can be confirmed. It's saving us from a couple of things, right? Because it's possible that we're wrong. Maybe this is just a, a, an offense that our friends, you know, in the church need to tell us, hey, you know what? I think you could just let love cover this. Or, or maybe you actually, it actually was a sin against you and this person actually needs to be confronted about this sin to ask for forgiveness. And all the while, the whole, this is not retribution or revenge, but we're, we're calling people to do this so someone can be restored to the church. Charge need to be established. And Jesus goes on to say that uh, if he hears you, you've restored your brother. This is the point. We want restoration so we confess and confront sin because it's good for the body of Christ. It brings health. But friends, it also, it not only brings health to the body of Christ, it brings health to our bodies. There is sin that we hold inside, unconfessed, that needs to be brought out into the open. Some, Some of us, are not introspective enough. And we spend so much time on social media, reading the news, watching the news. I'm including myself in this, friends. Our souls are so noisy that there are sins like Josh preached about from Hebrews 3 that are deceiving us and telling us, you don't really need to deal with that. You don't really need to confess that. That's not that big of a deal. Psalm 32, King David, who was one of Israel's greatest kings, Israel's greatest king besides Jesus. In Psalm 32, he says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's atonement, right? You cover for for sins. And in the Old Testament, they killed an animal. The blood was shed to cover for sins. And he said, blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count iniquity, counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And here's his personal experience. He writes, for when I kept silent, 
When, when I kept my sins inside, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My, my, my body was hurting. I was being shriveled up because I would not confess sin. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Why? Because God wanted him to be healed. And the way to do that was to confess. He said, my strength was dried up as the heat of summer, Selah. But what happened when he confessed his sin to the Lord? He said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. The simple act of calling your sins what God calls them to him and to one another actually heals our bodies. So he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. What's going to happen when he does that? Surely the, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. His enemies won't be able to reach him. You are hiding. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Think about that. When we confess our sin to God, John tells us he is faithful and just. He would be unjust to not forgive our sins. And when that happens, we are healed, friends. We are healed on the inside. There's a a weight lifted off. You first offer your prayer to the Lord, and then you you go to anyone you have sinned against and confess your sins to them. So we, we must be wise here, right? We don't confess every sin of thought against someone. Like, hey, I had this thought of hatred towards you. No real reason. I just wanted to let you know that. That probably wouldn't be helpful. But, but we do confess sins that actually, you know, we confess sins of thought that leads to acts of bitterness. Like bitter thoughts turning to gossip. We must confess that sin. James tells us that with our tongues we bless God and curse men who were made in his image. God says, if you curse man made in my image, that you should go and you should ask for forgiveness. So there are sins against others that we need to confess to them. There are sins or there are sins against others that we need to confess to them. There are sins in others that we need to confront and love because they cannot be overlooked. But there are also sins that we need help overcoming. Or we confess, sometimes we confess sins that we've confessed to God over and over again, but we're stuck in this sin pattern that we can't get out of. And we need someone else's help. So we, we go to someone and we confess that sin and we ask them to help us. Will you pray for me? Enlist their help of other Christians, wise, mature Christians to overcome these sins. Friends, confession is hard and humbling work. But as we do it, God begins to heal. God begins to heal. Sometimes even he starts to heal your own body that's been racked with sin, with worry with anxiety that's affected the pit of your stomach. This week, the Lord really worked on my heart with this sermon. And I had to confess sin to someone close to me. It it was the hardest thing I've done in a long time. I was hem-hawing. I didn't want to do it. I was getting nervous. And and I just just did it. And, you know, one of the... the, um, Puritans, Thomas Manton, this is gross, okay? But he calls confession the vomit of the soul. 
which is an evocative and gross image, but it's really apt. You know, when your stomach has something in it like bacteria that doesn't belong there, even though you hate it, you know the only way you're going to feel better is if it comes out, right? The problem is when we confess to another, one another, we vomit our souls on one another, that other person has to deal with what's on them, right? It's gross, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you have to go, like, go ahead. I don't want to be vomited on either. Um, so they have to deal with what's all over them. It's, this, is, this is, you know, this is serious. It's sin. It's, it's ugly in God's sight. But it is the, it's the grace of forgiveness and prayer that will help you clean up the mess. This person that I confessed my sin to was quick to say you're forgiven. My confession of sin was a sin against this person, right? Forgiveness is costly, friends. It costs Jesus his life, his perfect life. He made the good confession before Pilate, and then he gave up his life for you so that you could confess your sins to this perfect one. You can, do, you can do everything you need to clear your conscience and lay them on Jesus. And as Christian brothers and sisters, we show this kind of love when we're quick to forgive. When we don't hold grudges, or we don't hold things inside. If you can't let love cover something, you need to go to that person, friend, and, and in love, just say, listen, you sinned against me or I sinned against you. I want to be healed in this. And we put Jesus on display as being way better. So he says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. Did you know that? notice that in verse 16? Confess your sins and pray for one another so that you might be healed. So I spent a lot of time on the first section, second section. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on the prayer. We're just going to wrap it up here in just a few minutes. A prayer for one another. As we confess our sins, we also pray for one another. Prayer has power, friends, to heal. Forgiveness has power to heal. Confession has power to heal. And God says, as you are advancing in the Christian life and becoming more mature in trials and suffering, you ought to be praying for one another. And we do pray for physical needs like healing and, and jobs and daily bread, just like the Lord's Prayer teaches us. But the New Testament overwhelmingly tells us to, to pray for people's spiritual welfare. We don't have to ignore the physical needs. Jesus did say pray for our daily bread. But the Lord's Prayer is weighted. How does it start? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And and as you go throughout the New Testament and you see the prayers of Paul mostly, and he's praying for people's spiritual welfare. You rarely see him pray for physical needs. I'm not saying don't pray for physical needs, okay? I'm just saying let the prayers of the scripture transform what we pray for people. 
When someone amongst us gets cancer, how should we pray? We pray that God would cure them and cause them to go into remission. And we pray that God would sustain and strengthen them through their faith, through, in their faith through this trial. God may have them to meet him in glory. Pray for one another's spiritual well-being, that we would be strengthened and established in love. As if you want a, I didn't bring it up here, Paul's prayers by D.A. Carson, Praying with Paul, called The Spiritual Reformation. This is a great book on learning how to pray the prayers of Scripture and pray them in a a way that uh, God has given us. Pray for people's spiritual and physical welfare. Now, Elijah, friends, is the example of this. Did you ever wonder why uh, James uses the Example of Elijah here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. Elijah is a man just like we are. He's a human just like we are. So he's encouraging you. You don't have to be an Old Testament prophet to have effectual prayers. You just have to be someone who's dependent on God. But how did Elijah pray? In, in, in Kings 17 and 18, uh, the, the whole point of that is Elijah is a prophet proclaiming and praying God's words. So it was God who said it wouldn't rain. And then Elijah prayed, God, let it not rain. He's just he's proclaiming the will of God. He's proclaiming the word of God. So that's true for us. We, we should be pr- praying the word and the will of God. This is, I said it a little bit before. Praying is God conforming our wills to his. It's pouring out our hearts to God, but it's, it's praying that his will be done and his kingdom come. When, when we pray these things, these are prayers of a righteous person who will avail. These, these prayers, they, they will have effect. And just to conclude, there's a book called The Power of Prayer by Samuel Prime. And uh, it's about the New York revival of 1858. There was a financial crisis in 1857 that left many people bankrupt. Um, maybe, maybe something like the financial crisis of 2008, only worse. And uh, one man named Jeremiah Lamphere began praying alone in the up, upper room of the Collegiate Reformed Protestant Dutch Church. He, he didn't pray for the crisis to be over. But day after day and week after week, he prayed that men and women would turn to Christ and come into a full experience of the sovereign grace of God. And I have this book down here. If anyone wants to borrow it, I'd love to lend it out to you. But this book, it's, I would never be asked to write puff pieces, but it's kind of like boring in one way. But if you take the whole book as a whole, it is, it is one guy praying over and over again, other people gathering around to pray with him, and then time after time, God answering those prayers, resulting in a, a genuine revival in 1858 in New York City. You, you've probably never heard of this guy or this revival, which, which is good. But just day after day, they come in noon prayer, and they kneel down, and they ask God, please save this person. Save this sailor. Save my son. Save my daughter. Save this person. Let them come to full knowledge of you. And week after week, they'd come together 
and one prayer would get answered. Another prayer would get answered. And God started bringing healing into a time of, of great crisis. God wants to use prayer to do his will. He's going to do his will. And he chooses to use your and my, my prayers and your prayers as a means of getting that done. I, I don't understand it. But he's told us to pray. Brothers and sisters, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and be healed. May God make us a praying people who confess their sins, who work hard at prayer because he is all about us experience a sovereign joy in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do your work applying the sermon to our hearts. God, even, even as we move into a time of confession of sin, God, we, we do ask that you would hear our prayers and heal us. We ask that you would do the hard work in us to admit our sins to one another and pray for one another on a regular basis so that you might be glorified and that we might be healed. Amen.